Welcome to the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. Over the next hour, you'll learn what you should expect from your care provider and how to take charge of your care needs. Hear from the experts. Now, here's Renee Balcom. Good, good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Uh, this is Renee Balcom, and I'm your host with the See Differently Project. And I'm here today. I'm so excited about my guest. And this is when um, I wish radio, you could see our faces because uh, my guest today, Renee Montaigne, is just literally one of my personal heroes. She's just lovely and beautiful person. And I'm so excited to have her here. Um, we are going to have kind of a heavy topic today. Uh, Renee has now experienced and battled through a cancer diagnosis twice, and she's on that journey right now, and she's going to share some of that with us. Um, I think she has a remarkable story, and I view her bravery um, as exceptional, and I think that her uh, the gift that she's going to give to all of our listeners today, I'm so excited about it, is just to talk to you about her mindset and how important that has been in her journey and how important I think it's going to be moving moving through this uh, second uh, cancer diagnosis. So Renee, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Thank you very much. Um, Renee, we were we were talking before we came on air. Um, at one point, uh, when Renee had her first cancer diagnosis, um, she reached out and hired uh, my offices and me personally as her healthcare advocate. So that's how we met. We've got a little history. I don't even remember how long ago that was. Do you, Renee? A couple of four years, years ago. Yeah, I was going to say pre-COVID for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but but let's talk about that. Like what. Um, again, today's all about you, but what made you decide, like, I, I think I need professional help in this journey. How did, how did you get to that place? I was diagnosed with cancer and they were putting me off and putting me off. I made phone calls to the doctor's office on a regular basis. And I was talking to a friend who said, oh, I know this gal, Renee Balcom. You should talk to her. And I called you up and I remember you came over to my house to interview me to see if you could help. And during that time, my doctor called and you, I introduced you as my health advocate and his demeanor changed in a heartbeat. And I realized I was being defensive and trying to get things done, whereas you knew how to talk to him. You knew how to advise me. And from that point on, you were my hero, helping me navigate through the system to make sure I wasn't pushed aside. Yeah, yeah. And I and I remember you were actually having some challenges where they were having difficulty scheduling. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about the type of cancer you had because it was pretty radical. Um, Renee is an avid tennis player, for those of you, just to give you a little background on her. She's a great athlete, and, and she found herself one night having difficulty breathing. Um, Renee, do you want to pick up the story from there? So what happened, I was in the middle of a nighttime tennis match, and I didn't feel good. And the woman that I was playing against, I wasn't having a good time. So I just went up, retired, went home. About three o'clock in the morning, I ended up in the emergency room. And the doctor comes in and says, you had a pulmonary embolism, you have pneumonia, you have tumor on your lung, you have blood clots throughout your body, your blood pressure is elevated, and, and you have lung cancer. And I'm like, what? I mean, it was just a total shock. And then they proceeded to schedule me for tests, but the tests were going to be like two and three weeks out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And and I also remember when they first, uh, you first started getting some of your testing back, they even diagnosed a cancer in your eye, correct? Correct. I had, yeah. after the PET scan, they said I was stage four because I had multiple tumors and they were at the first couple months, they kept saying I had lung cancer. But after the biopsy, they found out it was large cell cell lymphoma. 
Okay. And let's talk about the biopsy experience a little bit, because I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I've been a healthcare advocate for about 15 years, and I had never heard of such a thing prior, and I've never heard um, I, I, I'm sorry to say I have heard some torturous biopsy stories now, but I think yours particularly was unique in how it all happened and what happened with you. Can you share that? Yes. They had me on blood thinners and they came in and said that they were looking for a treatment room to do a biopsy. And so the next day they said, okay, we're going to do the biopsy and wheeled me into a closet. And I know it was a storage room or closet because it had bookshelves on it with binders, did not have any kind of special lights. It was just the standard type of thing. And there was four people around me. And I said, is this a storage closet? And they all laughed. And then they proceeded to numb my throat and stick a snake down me. And I started waving my arms in panic going, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'm trying to explain to them. And the doctors merely said, hold her down. And every time they put that snake in me, they cut off my airway. And I literally thought, oh, this is the end. I'm dying. And after the third, fourth time that they went in, I finally had internal bleeding and they had to stop the treatment. So I filed a complaint and they said, oh, well, we couldn't. Uh, do a regular biopsy and put you out because you are on blood thinners. Well, guess what? A week later, they took me off the blood thinners, put me out and did the biopsy the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, to me, it's just so shocking. And I know, I know you did file a complaint and I know um, they, there was minimal reaction to the complaint as I, as I remember, correct? Oh, they, they have an answer for everything. You can't fight this. System. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I what I particularly remember about your first uh, us starting working together was the necessity to to really get a uh, one of the physicians, one of the specialists that was involved in your care to step up and be the leader because the complexity of your cancer with the cancer in the eye and the ocular specialist that was looking at that and what they thought your treatment should look like, what the oncologist thought your treatment should look like, what your primary care doctor thought your treatment should look like. And it was just a big cluster. I mean, it was just a mess, right? And I remember right. working uh, working in, in Renee's uh, in, a, in a large system and working within that system to get a meeting with all of those specialists, which was a very unusual ask. They were all kind of like, what? We don't do that. And I I remember letting them know, like, not only can we have this meeting, but you can actually bill for this meeting. There's billing codes for it. And I I delivered billing codes to the assistant of the oncologist so that they knew we could have this meeting and we could sit. My, my objective was to sit with all the specialists, have them interact with each other because they were not even talking to each other, and, and then determine what your treatment plan would look like. And, and at that time... That was something that um, th this particular hospital system just found such a rare request, right? They were just like, well, we don't normally do this. And I said, well, I know, but you don't normally have a patient, you know, with this need and we need someone to step up and take the lead in her treatment plan. So, so they finally agreed and said, okay, we'll have this meeting. And I remember going to that, remember? And, and the oncologist was like, he was so defensive initially, like, what are you doing here? Well, in fact, just for the audience, just for a little humor here, we walk in the room and we're introducing ourselves and Renee introduces me as her hired gun, which immediately they were like, oh. <laughs> with a notepad and then, in your hand. And none of it. He was nervous yeah, about you. Yeah, with my clipboard. Yeah, remember he asked me, what are you writing down? Um, but but in general, um, that particular meeting as I recall, was such a favorable meeting because it allowed us to be able to have a really good, solid treatment plan. And the oncologist stepped in and said, I will be the lead doctor in this scenario and uh, in this case. And 
Um, I also remember the ocular specialist deciding um, that right now we're going to treat, let's, let's treat the lung cancer and see how the eye responds. Am I still accurate with that? My memory fades they, sometimes. You're correct. They said that they couldn't do any kind of testing or biopsy on the eye because I would go blind. <laughs> so they had no way to know. So they said, if we treat the tumor, and then the eye tumor goes away, then we'll know it was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was the journey that we began. I also remember the, the oncologist was so defensive when I first came into the room. He had never heard of healthcare advocacy, and he thought that I was there to, you know, uh, keep track of him. And in some ways I was, but I always try to put the doctors at ease and let them know that my presence is really for my client. Like we're, I'm simply here to, to uh, try to move the needle and get my client the best care and the best care supports they can possibly have. That's my primary job. I, I don't, I've never had a case where I've litigated, you know, got involved in a litigation with a case. So it's really about making certain that, uh, whomever I'm there representing is getting everything they should be getting. And I, and I do feel like uh, the doctor stepped up and delivered that, right? I felt like he was responsive to that. And frankly, eventually he even asked for my business card because he felt for some of my cards, because he felt like he had some other patients that could use our help. But, but I also want to talk, because I remember Renee, the first day that you uh, had your uh, chemo and I, I remember sitting in the therapy room with you and, you know, uh, for people who I'm going to kind of create a visual here for people who have never had this experience, you're in this room and it's usually early in the morning. Um, of course, you're nervous. It's the first experience like this. Right. And and they come in and these people come in in pretty much like hazmat suits to deliver this cocktail of um of chemicals that they're going to put into a line for Renee to fight the cancer. And I remember sitting there just thinking, pardon my language, but holy shit, this is, this is crazy. It was just the oddest thing to me. Um, how did you feel that in that first experience, Renee, what was your thought? Well, first of all, my veins are very difficult to find. So it took them a long time with hot compresses and all this to I find pain because I had not yet had a port put in. And yeah, they they walk in, they have to sterilize the area. They're, I know they're putting poison in me. Yeah. And it's going to be a six to seven hour transfusion process. Yeah. And it is pretty horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty daunting experience, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, I remember... Um, at one point I excused myself and went to the bathroom because I had to cry. <laughs> it still makes me want to cry because, um, you know, listen, it was a life-saving treatment and I understand the why, but it doesn't make it easier for anyone to go through that experience. And, you know, for our listeners, I just want them to know that, you know, if you can in any way have a companion there with you in this experience, please do, because it, it's, there's, I think there's a little trauma wrapped around that for sure. I think, and depending on, on, you know, your personal belief, it can be very hard for Renee, who was, uh, like I mentioned, an athlete and very, very much in charge of her wellness. Um, it was, had to be a really, really difficult experience because you took, I mean, you're in wonderful condition and you took a lot of pride, take a lot of pride in taking care of yourself. So um, that moment had to be a tough moment for sure. So, so let's talk about where you are today with this new diagnosis, cancer diagnosis. Uh, share with us, you look great. So you continue to take good care of yourself and uh, tell us about what's going on with you now. In about March, um, I started having difficulty breathing on the tennis court. And I just thought, oh, well, I'm getting older. I'm in my 70s. So my energy level is low. And then all of a sudden in September, I woke up and I had a football in my neck. And I went, oh, my gosh, what in the world is that? It was a huge like tumor. 
So long story short, I went into the doctor and immediately they did a CT scan the next day. They got me in for a PET scan two days later. They fast tracked me, which totally blew me away. And um, I ended up, let's see. So then they did a fine needle biopsy. They weren't sure what they were dealing with. Then I get a phone call from my doctor, a new oncologist, because my old one had retired. And he was Asian. And he says, I'm so sorry. You're the unlucky one. Cancer is back. You need to call your family. This is not good. This is very, very bad. And for an hour and a half, he told me, that there was nothing that they could do, that because the cancer came back within four years uh, is sad, very sad. And I kept saying, I asked him several times, did you get the biopsy report back? No, we don't need the biopsy report. It's not necessary. We know what it is. So he basically told me, call my family. I'm dying. I, I didn't believe him. In my spirit, I was like, this is bogus. Um, they don't even know what they're dealing with. So sure enough, the next day, 5 p.m., he calls me up. Oh, so sorry I was wrong. Oh, it's my. not what we thought it was. This is a different cancer. This is small cell lymphoma. It's treatable. Wow. So so just we're we're getting ready. We just got a flag for a break, but we're going to come back into this amazing conversation. Um, but Renee, just to make certain, so the, the original cancer had completely been resolved, correct? Correct. I was cancer-free. Yeah, I thought so too. All right. Well, we're going to cut to a break and then come back and talk some more about this experience with this doctor and what happened when he said, I was wrong. I mean, he gave you a death sentence 24 hours earlier and here you are, you know, Again, I think about the emotional toil on that. And, and then a day later, you get different news. So, so we're going to cut to a break. We'll be back, everyone. Um, this is an open uh, live show. Please call in if you have questions or comments. I know there are other people out there are in our listening world that have had some of these same experiences, and we'd love to hear from you. So call us. Um, they're going to announce the number on the break, and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The See Differently Project will deliver us out of the echo chamber that we live in and educate and empower our listeners about the business of care. The care industry from cradle to grave encompasses a multitude of service providers. Some of these providers must have licenses and some do not. It depends on the state you reside in. Nonetheless, this multi-trillion dollar industry continues to grow. Money exploited from consumers through this industry in 2022 exceeded $63 billion. Our mission at the See Differently Project is to educate and empower our listeners by bringing guests on who are professional experts in their care field, opening the dialogue, informing our listeners, and answering your questions. You will walk away with a new perspective and empowerment over your care needs. The See Differently Project is hosted by Renee Balcom, the nation's leading healthcare advocate, on Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone. Um, hey, while we were on break, we started having some conversation, uh, Renee and I did, about uh, her, this doctor that we were just talking about. We're going to get back into that conversation. But Renee uh, had mentioned that he was Asian. And by no, by n- absolutely no way are we implying that that was an issue. He had a very thick accent and uh, his communication was uh, difficult in how he delivered the message to her but Renee did you want to comment at all or are you anyway we would never there's no disparaging remark there for for any particular nationality of a doctor in fact um, the Asian community brings a lot of great medicine to to our world so we're grateful for that group so Renee did you want to say anything about that in the past, whenever they've referred me to an Asian doctor, I've always been excited because I do believe that Asian doctors are exceptional in their practice. It was just that his accent, he just kept saying over and over, this is bad, very, very bad. And it was the delivery and the accent that stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that because so you get a phone call, you're basically told you have a short time to live, you need to get your affairs in order and let your family know. Um, and and you chose to sit on that because you just didn't feel that could be true, right? Correct. I didn't have the biopsy report and I wasn't going to listen to a diagnosis when all of the facts were not in. Good for you. Good for you. Um, I love that. I want everyone to know at this point, I am not Renee's healthcare advocate, but she is such, was such a great student of our first work together that I'm just so proud of her in how she's taken charge of this and taken charge of the doctors. So the next day I you get a call. You, uh-huh. Working with you, you taught me. I Thank you. was aware of everything that you were doing. So I was able to act advocate for myself from what I learned in working with you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So the next day, is it the same doctor that calls you or a different yes. doctor? Yes. Same no, doctor. Okay. Same doctor. And he, said, he says, I was wrong. I was wrong. We got wow. the biopsy back. It's not what I thought it was. Yeah. Well, and how, what was your response to that? Just, I mean, there had to be a sense of relief. And then, and then I, if it were me, I would have gotten a little pissed off, right? And been like, doctor, what happened? I, I'm a strong believer in God. And I believe God never gives us more than what we can handle. And I, at the time did not feel that my life was done, that I still have more purpose and God has more plans for me. So I just went into total denial. After he gave me the diagnosis, I went and played cards. I got on with my life. I did my thing. And when he called me and said, oh, it's different. It's treatable. I went, okay. And boom, that was it. And I thought, whatever it is, I can get through this. Yeah. Good for you. Again, I think mindset. Let's talk about mindset because you just have always, again, just been a champion of your own self. And I love that, that you, you know, don't, you don't let life kick you down. You have such a great mindset. I appreciate so much that you uh, give that glory to God, but, but, you know, um, there's a lot of us that are believers that may not have that same mindset. Can you talk about that? Do you have a practice that kind of keeps you keeps your mindset on point. Tell us about how you stay in such a good frame of mind. We need to deal with what's at hand. So whatever I'm dealt, you just, I, you deal with what you can deal with. And they told me that I had cancer and I'm going, okay, how do you treat it? And I'm just going to get through this and, you know, keep it positive attitude a friend sent me a plaque that says when you weather through the storm if it's difficult be the lighthouse and Mm. my thing is is other people get very um depressed and i want to show them you don't have to get depressed just fight it and when you have joy and peace in your life and know that even through the nauseousness and the side effects and all of that I can weather this storm. I'm good at making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. And yeah, good for you. You just got to fight. 
Yeah. Now, I know that you're in the throes of treatment now mm-hmm. on the second round of cancer. You said earlier you're halfway, halfway through. Yes. I go in so every have- 20, 28 days for two days of infusions, two bags of chemo and one bag of something else. And this trip, my first infusion is about five to six hours long, but I can actually drive myself to the appointments, but I always have somebody there with me and we play cards and games and stuff like that. So that the treatment goes really fast. I always bring treats for the nurses and you know, it just, it is what it is. And I fight through the nauseousness for about five or six days and then I feel good. My energy level is still not, you know, the greatest. And I do worry a little bit about getting exposed to colds and viruses, but Mm -hmm. I keep praying every day for a tent of protection around me to keep me from colds and sickness because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lock myself in the house. Right. It's not my nature. I'm a people person. I'm going to be out and about playing cards, playing tennis when I feel up to it and living life. I'm not going to let this set me back. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. And um, so. In in this experience, um, do you do you have a daily practice for a day of just uplifting your faith and uplifting your your emotional state I know I know you do it even outside of cancer treatment I know that you have um, a really strong faith tell tell us a little bit about that um I was born and raised Jewish and didn't know God mm-hmm. and when I accepted Christ into my life it changed on a heartbeat and I'm just hungry to know him better so yeah. every day I spend time with him trying to understand. I wake up in the morning and I go, okay, Lord, what do you have planned for me? And I may have an agenda and he decides to change it. And that's fine with me. So I'm very involved in my church. I'm involved in Bible studies and senior singles groups. Mm -hmm. Um, I've aligned myself with like-minded people who are upbeat. There was a time in my life where I literally got rid of friends who were downers and decided to align myself with more positive people. And every day we should have joy and peace, no matter what we're going through and no matter what our circumstances. And yeah, I true. hang on that. I hang on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. I think if you if you step into I, I love the fact that your attitude is not why me, but not why not me, right? I love the fact that you understand that life is going to throw you curveballs and that you navigate through that. I I mean, again, you're just one of my personal heroes because you have such a great mindset. I also know that historically you really, um, in the first round of cancer, you really stepped into and elevated um, your eating habits and your well care. Are you doing, I'm assuming you're doing that through this No, the first time through... I was so nauseous and so sick to my stomach and I ate anything and everything I wanted. You did? Oh, I did. This time, I I don't know why, but it was like a wake-up call. It was mm-hmm. boom. I gave up sugar and white immediately. I gave up all diet sodas and sugar sodas. And I decided I am going to totally change my eating habits. And what's interesting is my oncologist, I told her that I was eating healthy and no sugar. And she was like giving me permission to eat sugar. She goes, oh, there's no study that says that cancer breeds on sugar. But again, in my mind, I'm like. I don't know that I think that's true. I don't. I don't believe, I don't know that I believe that. I'm not a practitioner, but I'm pretty sure I might be able to find that information. So if anyone wants to know, I'll do some homework on that. We'll put it out on our website. So come look All at All I know is since I gave up sugar and white. I, my energy level elevated during treatment. I feel good. I feel healthier. Um, I've had two desserts since September. And mm-hmm. Now I'll eat one tablespoon of something instead of mm-hmm. eating a whole piece of cake. 
And so I'm doing moderation, but I definitely have changed my eating habits. And I was listening to an oncologist on the radio who said, whenever possible, eat organic if you can, because they're putting so many bad things in our fruits and vegetables and everything we're eating. So I am trying to eat mostly organic too. Yeah. Yeah. I've switched to that as well. It's a little bit more expensive, but I think ultimately it's worth it. And, and there's a lot uh, to be said about pantry foods. Now, some of the chemicals in things like crackers and some of the things, foods that we have in our pantry. Um, I do try to find gluten-free if I can. I've never, I'm not aware that I have a gluten problem, but I, that's an area that I'm trying to remove from my diet as well. So, well, good for you. Well, well, we're going to shift. I want to shift to a little bit of a different uh, topic, but I think it's it's definitely part of your story that I find really remarkable, and that is your mom. So for the listener, um, I know your mother battled cancer for a long time, and I you have shared with me that she uh, determined to exercise the right to die law in the state of California. And, and I want you to share that experience with us because, you know, again, I think about your cancer battle, your will to live, and yet you were close to your mother. You were her primary, uh, you know, caregiver for your, for her life. Right. And, um, and so there had to be a lot of thought for you in her choices and how different it was from your choices. Can you elaborate on that? When I got diagnosed with lymphoma, my mom called me and said, I need you here. I have lymphoma. And I was like, like, oh, my gosh. And so I didn't tell her that I had to go through cancer. So when I finished my treatment, I immediately got on a plane to go see her. She's nine. She is 94 years old diagnosed with terminal cancer, but she's denied going through any tests because she goes, I'm not going to get treatment. I'm too old. And she had had cancer before she had had breast cancer. So when I got there, she was in a care facility and she was totally 100% bedridden. She was in diapers. She had no quality of life. She was the type of person that she used to dress three times a day with her finest jewelry and clothes to go down to the dining room. And she, I mean, she wouldn't walk out of the house without full makeup and looking absolutely stunning. So Even at 94? See, Good for her. Yeah. So to see her basically like a vegetable, but mentally alert was very difficult. So I said, what's going on, mom? And she goes, I can't live like this. This is horrific. She was under hospice care. And so it was brought to our attention that she could do the end of life cocktail. And she said, I want it. I want it. So the first, you have to be interviewed by two doctors. So the first doctor called her and said, hi, what's going on? And she goes, I wake up in the morning. (laughs) And he started laughing and she said, I want to go to sleep and not wake up. I want my life over. And so he had a chat with her and then a second doctor has to interview you. And in order to qualify, you have to be terminal. You have to know what you're doing and you have to be able to take the cocktail by yourself. Mm -hmm. And there is a 14 day wait period in between. And my mom chose to go this route and she went with a smile on her face. She saw angels. She was let set free and it was the right decision for her. She lived a full life, 94. She had lost quality of life. Her heart was strong. So she could have lived on in bed like a vegetable for possibly years. And this was not the life she wanted. Yeah, yeah. And and it sounds like, as usual, you just have a great attitude about it. Um, you were, pre- were you present with her during that experience? Um, her doctor was there. Um, her She wanted her hospice nurse, myself, my brother, my brother's wife. And when we got there and gave her the first cocktail, because it is a process, I went, I have to put music on. And I 
clicked on my phone and it the, the song that came on was all about going to heaven. Once again, God was in control and yeah. it was like this beautiful song about heaven came on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's personal. And um, um, would you, do you think you would make that you could possibly make that choice for yourself at some point, Renee? If, I mean, you've got a lot, a lot of years to live. So I, you know, who knows what it's going to look like in 25 years, but um, you know, is that a choice that you feel like you would make for yourself? I believe that we are all born on purpose for a purpose. And when our purpose is accomplished, then our life could be gone. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that my life is even near the end. So I couldn't make that decision at this point. Um, I live one day at a time. I live today and tomorrow. I don't worry about the past or what's going to happen. Yeah. I just go with the flow. Yeah, good, good. Well, they're flagging us for another break. This will be our last break, and then we'll come back and start closing the show. Uh, we're here today with Renee Montaigne, my special guest, and we're talking about navigating cancer and cancer diagnosis and doing that with a great attitude. Thank you, Renee. We'll be back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I'm here with my guest, Renee Montaigne, and we've been talking about... Um, frankly, cancer and the cancer treatment and cancer journey. It is different for everyone. Um, but Renee has had now she's in her second uh, diagnosis, uh, different kind of cancer, and is uh, going through this like the champ that she is. Um, we also, if you are just tuning in, we also had a chance to talk about her mother, who also had uh, similar, same kind of cancer, lymphoma, and she exercised the right to die cocktail in the state of California. And that was a, a blessed experience. So Renee, back with you. Um, we're in the last few minutes of the show now, and I'd love for you to, oh, you know what I want to talk about? Let's talk about the situation with your dog. So listen, for those of us that are pet owners, like my, my, you know, companion, his name is Jeff, is just, you know, my little angel, right? So, and I know you have one of your own, you have a dog, and in the middle of this, your dog got hurt, right? 
he was running and all of a sudden he started yelping and, and I took him into the vet and they said he severed his tendon and they wanted approximately $4,500 to $5,000 to fix the tendon. And then they wanted another $5,000 because his teeth, he had broken teeth, loose teeth, and he needed a cleaning. So we're talking $10,000 for a nine-year-old dog. And mm -hmm. I'm like, mm, I don't think so. So mm -hmm. I called another vet to get another opinion and said, if you concur with this vet, can you just put him down when I bring him yeah. in? So I spent the next four days um, thinking I'm going to have to put my dog down. And this is my buddy. This, I mean, mm -hmm. he's the love of my life. And so I go into the vet and bottom line is, she said, he's a little dog. He'll compensate. You don't need to do anything. And his teeth are bad. But if you don't do anything, he'll be fine. Wow. He's on so perspective. Yeah. So they sent me away with a couple of pain meds and an anti-arthritis pill because he does also have severe arthritis. And he's walking on all four legs. He's a happy wow. camp. Wow. So no more yelping or no more indication nope. of pain, discomfort. Wow. Wow. Yep. So, so again, you know, doctors of every sort can be wrong in how they want to proceed with treatment. So, and, and it doesn't matter if it's a veterinarian or a specialist or your primary care doctor, the, the message that, that I think the audience should understand is if it doesn't feel right, get another opinion, just get another opinion. And, and, you know, I've had people ask me about that, like, well, how do I tell my doctor, I want a referral for another opinion? And it's like, you just tell your doctor, you want a referral for another opinion. And they're like, well, what if they get, what if he gets, he or she gets upset with me? In my opinion, if they get upset with you, then they're not a very good doctor. So what are your thoughts about that, Renee? I totally agree. Um, question everything. Doctors mm -hmm. have, quote, protocols. So like one time I was told to take uh, blood pressure medicine and I said, why? I don't have high blood pressure. Oh, because you're on this drug that can cause high blood pressure. And I'm like, but I don't have. Oh, well, it's our protocol. So question everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've had other guests on the show that have had that same experience where um, they, you know, the doctor wanted to go down a certain course of treatment based on their protocols. And the client sat back and said, well, I don't feel like that necessarily applies to me and, and chose another route. And again, it's, you know, we unfortunately are in a medical system that, and it's across the United States where um, they're collecting data. It's getting more and more prevalent that there's a collection, data collection going on in medicine. And then they try to throw you in the middle of that data, right? Like, well, most people your age, you with your, you know, uh, it, with your uh, diagnosis, this is what we would do. And, and I think a big message is that we're all unique, we're all different, and we don't necessarily fit in every one of those protocols. So I agree with you, question everything. And if it doesn't feel right, choose not to go down that path. Um, Renee, what other, what other tips, if you could give like three tips to the audience about uh, navigating cancer, um, doing it the best you can, uh, what would those, what would that be? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> well, first of all, when you go in to see a doctor, have your mind open and listen to your intuition. Ask as many questions as you can. Uh, get your facts straight. Um, even if they rush you, just take your time. And, and the, the next thing would be be positive. No matter what's thrown at us, we can handle it. Mm -hmm. God never gives us more than what we can handle. And he has a plan and a purpose for everything. And I think part of his plan for my life is that people would look at me and say, wow, she weathered this storm with positive attitude. Now I've got the same thing. I can do it. So yeah. be positive. And third thing I have. No idea. <laughs> Even if it's your dog. <laughs> Even if it's your um, pet. 
Yeah, even if it, I mean, it's like, and don't listen to other people or, you know, when you listen to them, do it with an open mind that just because one person went through something that was horrific doesn't mean that you're going to have that same situation or side effect. Yeah. Well, you know, when you were talking about your mother, one of the things that I feel is really profound about that is number one, you, you recognize that your mother was not you. She was her own unique person. And I love that. And then also that you wanted um, the highest level of integrity and, and uh, um, I'm at a loss for words um respect for her right her dig her personal dignity you wanted to make certain her dignity was intact and i think that's also something that as we journey through medicine and healthcare that if something is tapping against our personal dignity then then that should <clears throat> make us step back and and ask ourselves why and that's whether it's with ourselves or a loved one that we may be helping and working with as well but if i i believe two things that are just required in medicine. One is safety and one is dignity. And if either of those are in jeopardy, then you should question that. Would you agree? I totally agree. And you're mm-hmm. right. Every person is an individual and needs to be looked at as an individual. And doctors have a tendency to lump everybody in to, oh, well, you have this, so we need to do this. Instead of looking at us as an individual who may differ in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I loved what you said too, about going in prepared, you know, we, and, and listen, I've been, I've been uh, my own worst enemy where this is concerned. Sometimes we're sick. We don't know what's going on. We go to the doctor. We want them to have information and, and they don't know all they have is the collection of information that the computer is spitting out at them. Right. And a little bit of information on you. So if you go to the doctor, completely prepared with your questions in in order and you know that you're there to seek information and and our our meetings our appointments with our doctors is an exchange of information it's not just them telling us so so one of the big messages i want the audience to walk away with today is take charge of your medicine take charge of your healthcare if the doctor wants to give you a pill that doesn't work for you that for for some reason that maybe is their protocol and you don't even have that malady, then just say, no, I'm not going to take that. And, or just don't say anything and just don't take it. <laughs> so um, that's and one of the one things. other thing, be totally assertive. I went into my general practitioner and showed him some spots on my skin that I was concerned with. And I demanded he send me to dermatology. He said, it's not necessary. And finally, I just kept pushing. And when I went into dermatology, it was all pre-cancer. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing. We, um, I, I joke because my husband, who's very healthy, like you, he goes to the doctor and they just kind of poo-poo him. And he doesn't go to the doctor easily. Like you have to drag that guy, right? And and I and I. I feel like they look at him and think, well, this guy's really healthy, so he doesn't have any problems. And we've had a couple of things come up that definitely needs, you know, to be looked into. And I've had to get, you know, pull out the I'm his healthcare advocate card to get him some of the testing that he needed to get or a referral to a specialist that he needed because the primary care doctor was like, oh, no, I, I think it's good. It's normal. And it's like, well, there's nothing normal about that. Why? Why would you say that? He even had a situation where his primary care doctor told him something was normal and completely misdiagnosed what it was. We finally got in front of an orthopedic specialist and and that doctor agreed with me. And I am not a doctor. So I just kept saying, no, this is it's it's not normal. So he he woke up one day with this big like cyst looking thing on his hand. And, um, and, you know, he works out, he goes to the gym. And I and I have to tell you, it made me laugh, because the treatment plan that was recommended to him was do more wrist curls. Literally, do more wrist curls. And it was like, what are you talking about? That doesn't have anything to do with him working out. It was the strangest thing I'd ever heard. So, so yeah, I think, you know, and conversely, so my husband goes to the doctor, they say nothing's wrong with him. 
I go to the doctor and anything that's wrong with me is because I don't go to the gym. I don't work out and I need to lose weight, right? So it's like, <laughs> it's like, look, you can't just assume any of that, right? You, we really have to do the testing, but it's getting more and more uh, difficult to push the doctors into giving us some of the tests that we need. So you're right. Just be, be aggressive and assertive and, you know, demanding of what you feel like you need. So, and, and I know they hate it when we use like WebMD and we go searching on Google to figure out what's going on with us. But sometimes if we go in prepared, um, you know, it's okay. The, when the doctor was telling my husband that this thing on his hand was normal, I literally had it up on my phone sitting in the room with them to show him, no, this is what's happening. But, you know. I respectfully, I did not do that at the time just because I wanted to, um, I didn't, I didn't want to be disrespectful to his doctor. We just got a referral to a specialist. So, so Renee, it has been a pleasure to have you. Um, you are completely, you know, I'm a person of great faith and you're in my prayers for this speedy recovery through this cancer journey that you're on. Um, I know you're going to fly through it and it's all going to be great because that's just how you do things. Um, I also love that you that you see your purpose as being witness to the people around you and how they can maneuver through life as well, because I think you're spot on. I think that's 100 percent true. You're such a great role model. And um, I appreciate you very much. So I want to thank you for being here with us today. Um, for our audience, you can pick up uh, this conversation on any of your uh, uh outlets for podcasting um we next week we're going to venture into a different subject uh we're going to we have a family coming on i'm going to talk about the scary first baby and how frightening that is <laughs> for everybody concerned when you bring this new baby into your home and how everything changes so we're going to be talking about that with our guests next week and uh, we appreciate our audience we thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time Thank you again, Renee. Take good care. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. We hope we have given you some insight into the business of care, and we hope you are empowered in your own care needs. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.